We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with Tim Heaney. It is week 16, Friday of week 16. Happy Festivus to everybody out there celebrating arguably the best holiday of December and perhaps of the entire year uh, at some point over the course of the weekend. Uh, Tim, how's it going for you today? Uh, it's going well. You know, just starting the airing of grievances a bit early. Uh, so, you know, that's always the most fun part about today. You know, we can talk about stuff that angers us throughout the year. Uh, fantasy football-wise, taking David Bowie and Prince from us. There's a lot of things we can talk about on that front, I think. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of things to be upset about in 2016. 
Uh, if you're a Giants fan, you're probably upset that Eli Manning is still your quarterback because I don't see them winning another Super Bowl with him. He's mm-hmm. Carson Palmer, just with Odell Beckham as his top receiver. That That's the way I've I've labeled him. I'm sticking by that. And last night seemed to be more of the same, where you still get these odd, bad decisions from time to time, critical mistakes, and he just doesn't have that same arm strength that he used to have. Just It, it seems like you're only one mistake away from Eli playing you out of a game, even though this is a Giants team that has an outstanding defense. It's a Super Bowl-caliber defense, but a very average offense, thanks to a running game that still uses too much Rashad Jennings for my liking, and in the play of Eli. Yeah, uh, a lot of problems on offense, you know, philosophically and talent-wise. I think that offensive line, especially the tackles, not doing Manning any favors by, you know, making him comfortable in any sort of pocket there. And obviously, you know, you see the yards per attempt he's had. I, I, he hasn't had uh, yards per attempt in a single game above 7.2 since week six. Uh, yeah, it's not very good. Uh, you know, Beckham obviously get the ball in his hands as much as possible. They finally started to dis- discover that and remember who he actually is in the last couple of weeks. But, you know, Sterling Shepard has his good games and Paul Perkins finally being incorporated a bit more. Whatever he had to do to prove that, it really shouldn't have been a low threshold. should have been as high as a threshold as it, as it has been. So Giants just really schizophrenic on offense. The defense, you know, really good. But even, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul being absent, that's hurt them a little bit. So, you know, it's a very incomplete team that should be a lot better than it is. Yesterday they did lean on Perkins more than Jennings. 15 carries, 68 yards, 4.5 yards pop. Jennings, to his credit, was just tick below 5. 9 carries for 44 yards. A heavy dose of Odell Beckham. I mean, Eli Manning... Threw it 63 times last night. 356 yards really doesn't that good for that many attempts. 5.7 YPA is a reflection of that. But Beckham pulled in 11 catches for 150 yards on 20 targets. I mean, imagine the, the catch rate on Beckham would be so much higher if he had a quarterback that could actually throw the ball to him and not just in a five-yard area around him. Yeah, I mean, you do like what he can do after the catch, but you want to get him a little bit further downfield to start all that action, I think. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's just really, really wasting his talent at this point. Hopefully the Giants can figure something out to get Beckham uh, up to that next level again next year because I think he took a small step back, but it wasn't because of his own physical skills at all. It was just the product of Eli's regression. Carson Wentz, 13-24, 152 yards, had a TD, had a pick. That TD goes to Nelson Aguilar. <laughs> Nelson Aguilar. So if you played Jordan Matthews, you knew you were facing a difficult matchup thanks to the Giants' pass rush and a really good secondary. No Janoris Jenkins last mm-hmm. night. Matthews was still held to two catches, 12 yards, six targets. So really a disappointing performance for most of the <sighs> Eagles' offense, and they still come away with a five-point win. Yeah, you figure Jenkins not being there would have helped Matthews, you know, as as the top guy matchup obviously depletes the depth of a secondary. But Dominique Rogers Camardi did still did a good job, you know, overall kind of holding things down. Aguilar, you know, the depleted depth does sometimes help the guys further down on the offense depth chart going against them. Aguilar, nice little one on one catch for a touchdown. He broke free a little bit. Still not a great fantasy guy. Never, no one you ever should have started unless you're really doing a really deep GPP daily fantasy type of option there. Zach Ertz disappointing. You figured he'd do a little bit more against that against that defense without Jenkins. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the Eagles offense alone is just very, very weak-to-week, uh, like, a, like a roulette, a, a carousel of who's going to do best. So it's definitely risky to begin with. Yeah, it, it is. And Ryan Matthews got his volume, but he left this game 
uh, with a pretty significant injury. They were describing it as a stinger before. I thought I saw something today about uh, something more serious going on with Ryan Matthews next, so he very likely won't play in Week 17 if you have to go all the way through Week 17. Could see a lot more Darren Sproles, uh, maybe a little Kenyon Barner in that matchup too. But bottom line, Eagles didn't play all that well offensively and still were able to put up 24 points. Uh, a pick six certainly helps. I mean, that's a, that's a big boost when you can get a play like that. Malcolm Jenkins bringing one back. Uh, of the th- three picks for Eli Manning last night, again, very costly turnovers as they often are. Uh, let's talk about some of the key injuries for this week. And I think the biggest surprise for me, Tim, is that Julio Jones is not on the injury report for the Falcons. Yeah, must have been a good, uh, you know, outing this week about, you know, testing his push-off ability. That's a key with a guy like him, obviously, or anybody, but a guy with his importance that you want to have that foot be 100%. So the toe, I guess, seems not to be an issue. Uh, kind of have to go into things against Carolina, really confident to play him at, at least as a wide receiver, too, I think. I'm not going to say, oh, he's back to being an ace again, but, you know, the Falcons, you know, I don't know if they're, they're probably still in the race for the number two spot, I would think, right, with Seattle. So that's kind of a reason to, you know, get them back at least on the field and make the offense better as a whole to keep their push going. So, you know, I think you have to start him if you're in a fantasy league. I don't think he's going to be a full decoy at this point. I think they've, you know, rested him enough where he's at least back to, you know, competence 70, 80-ish percent of health. So, yeah, I, I would run him out there if I were still playing with, with the league with him. Yeah, no question for me. I would definitely use Julio. Really encouraging uh, that he's not on the injury report. Uh, Jordan Reed listed as questionable. I don't think he practiced all week. I know through Thursday he had not. He didn't look good Monday night anyway prior to the ejection. Looked like he was in a lot of pain with that shoulder. It's a grade three shoulder separation uh, that he's been dealing with. I I just can't imagine Reed, even if he's active, having a significant role. Maybe he gets a handful of targets. Maybe he's a decoy. But if Reed is deemed inactive, my interest in Vernon Davis, which is already pretty high, goes up even further. Oh, for sure. And, you know, that's kind of been the case the last few weeks of owning maybe Reed and Davis, kind of flipping them when you get the inactives uh, going. That's obviously the safest role, I think, to to play with your roster with this. And, yeah, I agree with you. I think Reed, another guy just whose presence out there just does help everybody, not necessarily his own target workload. So, yeah, even if Reed's out there, I still would be a little bit intrigued in Davis because that Bears secondary, you know, it's one that can, you know, pretty easily be beat by a decent tight end. And Davis, for all of his flaws, can fit that bill. So he's definitely a good DFS guy to kind of see in if, if he can go with that. Bengals are really banged up. No Tyler Eifert this week as a result of a back injury. Uh, it's going to be CJ Uzoma probably getting the extra opportunities for the Bengals. So if you're really desperate for a streaming tight end option, you can add him kind of to the bottom of that list. Uh, AJ Green is questionable to play. That's, of course, a Saturday game against the Texans. Uh, he was limited at practice all week. So you look at the increased uh, level of participation, perhaps, uh, as the week rolled along that could could possibly mean that he's going to play. I think the Bengals are at that point where they don't have any incentive to put him on the field. So if he's feeling anything less than 100%, unless he's pushing to get on the field because he's got some incentives in his contract for reaching 1,000 yards or something along those lines, I, I feel like it's pretty binary. If he's active, you trust him. If he's inactive, you just know up front that you're not going to have him available. The downside is, that's the Saturday night game. So you're going to have a much shorter list of alternatives available if you are trying to rely on A.J. Green for his return this week. Yeah, still crazy that, you know, I mean, I guess it's it's good for them to keep listing him as a questionable, if even if they're not planning on playing him, just to make their opponents think a bit about what might be coming. But, yeah, as you said, I think the Bengals are, are eliminated at this point, so there's no real you know, reason to, to, to test him out there. Like you said, I don't know. I'm not sure about the whole contract thing either. I haven't read anything 
or seen anything about that whole thing with him. You know, like I said, maybe just be a pride thing to, to get back out in the field and finish strong or whatever, whatever that's worth. But yeah, I mean, you know, wide receiver three, if he does play for me, I'm, you know, decoy type of situation there. And like you said, you have to kind of prepare uh, the schedule for Saturday night. If he doesn't play, you got, you got some decent options, uh, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Denver, Kansas city, Detroit, Dallas. I think you, you can find some alternatives, even if you do leave it to Saturday night for green, you'd get like a Cole Beasley or something like that, or maybe even a Terrence Williams, if you're desperate, that sort of situation. Cause you know, the Cowboys have their, their situation kind of locked up. Terrence Williams might actually be a, not a bad backup plan there. Yeah. I'm looking at the, the rest of the injury report for the Bengals. Vontae's perfect. not going to play in this game either. It matters mm-hmm. for, for IDP owners, especially I've been using perfect as an IDP in stake league. So I got to make a move, but Von Miller's sitting out there. I've got Von Miller and Levante David to choose from off wow. the waiver wire right now. Seems like a pretty good Ooh. spot to be in with both of them. feel like it works like this. Levante David has the higher floor because he's a little more of a tackle Tackles. machine. Mm-hmm. And if, if Von Miller has one of those games where he just beasts and you know picks up three sacks, gets a handful of tackles, who knows, maybe even gets a pick, it could be like a 20 or 25-point game. Like You get a much lower floor but a much higher ceiling. What would you do in that situation? Oof. I mean, Kansas City's offensive line is pretty good. I think that's a case where they can hold off on Miller. You know, they, they can they can do a little bit more of a chippiness to him. I think you, you usually go higher floor. I think if I mean your weeks is it week sixteen is obviously it for the stake we got to imagine. So the points count you know, week seventeen too. Points though. count week seventeen. Yeah. Mm. Do you want to? I think the thing with me, I think you'd rather just keep pace and go with the Levante David higher floor situation there. That's think, my opinion. I think that's what I'm going to do, too, because I mean, there's, Tackles, there's yeah. a lot of games where Miller drops three, four, five points as an IDP, and if I can just get eight or nine even from David, that, that might be the difference. I mean, the championship game could easily be a four or five-point swing. Uh, looking at the first meeting, he only had five tackles, I think, in the first game against the Saints. That game wasn't the offensive shootout that many people expected. I think you'd get more of a high-scoring, high-pace kind of game. That could bode well for a player like Levante David. So I, I'm leaning... David right now. I'll have to decide at some point, probably during the course of this pod, which way I want to go. I mean, there's not a lot that separates the rest of the pack. I guess Kiko Alonso is an option. Oh, it's a revenge game for Kiko Alonso, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Miami Buffalo, that, 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 that's a pretty good use because I think, you know, obviously Buffalo's running game is ridiculous. That's a lot of tackle opportunities right there. Familiar so. place, too. I think Alonso might be the way to go. I think I'm going to go Alonso over Levante David. I think that's even... Even mm-hmm. better for me. That's going to be the move for now. If I decide to change it, yeah. <laughs> well, at least at least I've got someone that is playing currently teed up in my yeah. lineup. Uh, let's move on to some other injury information. No Adrian Peterson for the Vikings as they take on the Packers this weekend. I am not, as I mentioned yesterday, as optimistic about the Packers covering a seven point uh, favorite, uh, seven point spread. Even though Minnesota looks awful right now, I think Mike Zimmer's defenses tend to play very well against the Green Bay offense. Yeah, I think there's a bit of familiarity there as well, and uh, the pass rush obviously for Minnesota very good. That's one thing that Rodgers can kind of keep up with there, and uh, obviously the cornerbacks of Minnesota I think could at least do decent to you know bend but not break against the Packers receiving core there. Um, yeah, it's definitely going to be. I would definitely take the the, the the Minnesota points on that one for sure. So um, yeah, I mean Peterson I don't think was making much of a difference anyway for the Vikings. They've you know he hasn't been anything where near his Pro Bowl form when he was on the field anyway. So I don't think it's going to change many things about that Vikings offense without Peterson. No, I mean it just didn't seem like he was anywhere close to healthy coming back last week. Probably a mistake in the long term for him to come back, but who knows? I don't really know what the future brings for him. I'm sure, there's going to be some teams interested. At the same time, 
What are they actually getting after a full off season of recovery and rest? We really don't know based on that poor form we saw earlier this year. Harder to grade them too because the Vikings offensive line has been atrocious. And is Green Bay a streaming defense that you're comfortable with? Do you like them even on DraftKings this week? They've been ball hawking these last few weeks. Seems like their pass rush is showing some signs of life in recent weeks as well. Is that a legitimately good matchup for you this week? I think for sacks, it's a good base. You know, it depends on how you look at DSTs. I think I, you know, I usually base it on the offensive line, defensive line matchups. And I think, like you said, the Packers D line is probably one of the better ones in the league, at least at pass rush and Sam Bradford, at quarterback, you're definitely interested in what that could bring you there. And, you know, I think I don't think the checkdowns and the the the, the dink and dunks gonna work as well against the Packers because they do have a little bit of quickness in the front there. So yeah, I think the Packers are a pretty stellar option if they're still on the on the wire right now. I, I would rush to get them if I were kind of in a middling spot with a DST. Matt Forte doubtful to play Saturday against the Patriots. We should see a lot of Bilal Powell in that game for the Jets. We we're gonna see plenty of them anyway, but kind of bumps his stock up even higher for season-long and DFS purposes. Uh, I mentioned that injury for Ryan Matthews. It's a herniated disc that he suffered, so he's definitely out for Week 17 if you have to play Week 17. Uh, Stephon Diggs, questionable for that game against the Packers. He's been dealing with a hip injury, and I wonder how much. I mean, there's two things that work into his struggles, maybe three. The offensive line not being very good. As a result of the offensive line being good, the Vikings not taking that many shots downfield, and then Diggs' health, which really since about week four, week five, has probably been below 100%. How far below, we don't really know. But the way he was playing at the beginning of the year, Tim, I was optimistic about a full breakout for Stephon Diggs this year, and I have to wonder if going into 2017, if there might be a little bit of a price break on him compared to what there might have been had he somehow sustained that early season pace. Oh, for sure. I mean, people are, you know, t- tend to forget that sort of thing, especially, you know, recency bias type of thing. You see what he's done for you. If he's crapped out near the end, people are going to remember that. You know, it's kind of like baseball. People look at the second half sometimes a little too strongly when it comes to a- 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 assessing a player's skill set. And Diggs, obviously, is a game-breaking type of receiver. And even Sam Bradford was getting in the ball early on in the year because, you know, there's a good connection there. I think Diggs, you know, limiting with all his health issues, you know, his break on most deep plays is not good. And, you know, like I said, I think that's kind of taken from Sam Bradford as well, not having that option as crisply beating secondaries as it would be. So, yeah, definitely 2017, definitely a buy-low wide receiver when the whole market's probably going to flip towards, you know, paying big for running backs and getting those wide receivers in rounds three and four and five. I think Diggs is a prime target in that sort of uh, that area of, of a tier there. It's not looking good for Theo Riddick. Uh, he was not back on the field Friday. No official word yet, but he didn't practice last Friday either, and he was ruled out soon after that. So I would kind of assume that we're not going to see Theo Riddick back from his wrist injury. The difference is... Saturday practice matters for the Lions. They play Monday against the Cowboys, but he's certainly not trending in the right direction as we try to get a feel for what the Lions running game might be able to do in a very important mm-hmm. Monday night matchup for them. Meaningless game for the Cowboys, and I, I should state this again because yep. if you didn't listen to previous pods or XM shows or wherever I've said it, I always feel like a broken record because I say the same thing in the office, on the pod, <laughs> on the radio show, on the phone with my dad. I, I, I don't know who I've told what to The Cowboys, and you can vouch for this, you know this team really well, Jason Garrett's been in this situation before, and when the opportunity to rest players has come up late in the regular season, he's played starters through the third quarter. So unless some minor injury that ordinarily is something those guys could play through comes up, I don't really expect a significant drop in production. Maybe you lose a quarter of the game at most, but even then... Zeke and Dez are so good that three-quarters of the game from them is probably better than your alternative in most cases. I think it maybe puts Dak a little closer to the bubble because Dak is a good fantasy quarterback, but certainly not a great one yet. 
No, I start I, I start to act as Zeke. I'm, I'm, I'm all with what you said. And, you know, Garrett that does have a history of, you know, he even said all hands on deck earlier today for whatever that's worth. But I, I do tend to agree with him. Uh, more than half the game, I would expect those guys to play because, you know, it's too much week 16. You kind of like, you know, you, 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 you do want to rest guys, but you also don't want guys to kind of get out of a rhythm of, sort of, of sorts. And the Cowboys obviously are in a really good rhythm, even at, at, besides that Giants game, because now they got home field. They got climate conditions going in their favor all the time, which is huge for Dak. Huge for everybody else. But, yeah, I agree with you. Dak already kind of a borderline QB1, QB2, more a QB2 now. I mean, obviously, two-quarterback league, you kind of have to really have a stacked option as a third member to, to not start him. But definitely in a one-quarterback league, you really can't roll with Dak competently and expect him to have a big game for you. Yeah, so just adjust accordingly, but it's minimal adjustments, at least as we head into Week 16, even though the Cowboys clinched home field advantage through uh, the NFC Championship game with Phillies win over the Giants on Thursday night. No Aaron Rodgers on the injury report this week. I mean, he was going to play, I think, regardless, but an encouraging sign that he's not even listed as questionable just to be listed as questionable at this point. Might be healing up a bit. Looked a little more mobile. It wasn't his same, it wasn't his usual self in terms of his elusiveness, but he was at least trusting his leg enough to run when he had to against the Bears last week. I think that was a pretty good sign given uh, the cold conditions uh, in Chicago for that matchup. Uh, looking for some other injury news here. I think that's most of the key ones. Is there anybody else we haven't covered yet? Um, well, Greg Olson was fine. I didn't see a de- designation for him, so that's good. Yeah, he's uh, never missed a game, so yeah, that's so. not going to change now. <laughs> oh, the other, the other guys that I had yeah. on my list from before. Jeremy Hill, maybe? J- Jeremy Hill, fully yeah. practiced Friday. He should be fine. Uh, Ladarius Green, I wouldn't expect him to play. He's got a concussion. We think it's his fourth since he's joined the NFL, I mean, that's mm-hmm. okay. One week turnaround is not going to happen. Shouldn't happen on a fourth concussion. Uh, so keep an eye out for his status. They play Sunday also, so you again have fewer options if you have Green and nothing else, and don't like the alternatives. Maybe you put the outlaw Jesse James on your roster <laughs> and just make the switch later. But don't expect Green to play. If he does, it is a surprise. Terrell Pryor has been limited in practice, but he's going to play. He's going to have surgery on his finger at the end of the season, so nothing there. Uh, no Melvin Gordon this week. He has been officially ruled out, so it's going to be Kenneth Farrow and Ronnie Hillman in some combination picking apart that weak Cleveland defense. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, this is an interesting week to maybe pick up Hillman if you're really desperate at this point. Uh, you know, the, the, the split was, you know, what was it, about like 66-33 type of split with the, that first game. But, you know, Hillman does still have that reputation of hanging around when volume uh, opportunities arise. And, you know, Farrow was obviously the popular ad, but, you know, against the Browns, they might be apt to go to Hillman if it comes a blowout. So, you know, Hillman might be a sneaky DFS play as well for that case. Yeah, I, I, I was, I mean, I've suggested this before. The Chargers need to evaluate their backs, those two guys, with respect to what they might want to do with them next year. Of course, Danny Woodhead's health and contract status, uh, even Brandon Oliver might factor into that plan as well. But if they think Kenneth Farrow is good enough to be a backup for them next year, or they think Ronnie Hillman's good enough to be their third down back next year, they should be evaluating those players with heavier reps, one or the other, and probably not both, because I don't think there's any path for both to be there a year from now. So I, I don't really know what they want to do. Farrow maybe has the slight upper hand, but it's, it's a guess at best at yeah. this point. Um, Sammy Watkins questionable for the game against the Dolphins. Not really a big surprise with his foot injury. I don't really trust him at this point. I mean, he didn't do much against Cleveland last week. I know he's played 40 or more snaps in three consecutive games, but the expectation has to be low. I mean, sure. He's capable of scoring anytime he touches the ball because he has that breakaway speed, 
but he could just disappear from the game plan, much like he did last week. Yeah, he's got a tough matchup with the Dolphins. I mean, it's home, of course. Miami's, you know, you, you, you take that into account. But obviously, the, the teams play that there, you know, every year. And Byron Maxwell's actually had a really good season at cornerback. And I think he'd give him, he would give Watkins some fits and uh, probably enough to make Watkins really feel slower, you know, like his injury might be bothering him a little bit. So, yeah, um, definitely, you know, I, I think I've said this every time you've asked me about Sammy Watkins this year, just wide receiver three at best. Uh, nothing really to get all excited about. Maybe he'll break one play, but maybe he'll, like you said, just kind of, you know, get get snuffed out at the line with bump and run coverage. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not optimistic on him. Lamar Miller questionable with an ankle injury as that matchup with the Bengals tomorrow approaches as well. Uh, it seems like a legitimate concern because you can tell he's been pretty hobbled. Uh, it seems like it's an injury that's getting worse on a week-by-week basis. And, you know, it, it's it's actually a true game-time decision. It, that's that's the way it looks anyway for the Texans running back. So if you've been leaning on Lamar Miller, have an alternative at your disposal. And, again, it's a Saturday night game, so you're only going to have two more games on Sunday plus the one Monday night game to find your alternatives from. Uh, if Miller is ruled out, do you like Alfred Blue? As the as the next man up, I mean, it seems like that's been the plan to this point when Miller's been unavailable. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really excite me. Uh, obviously, volume base, you know, can can be worth a lot. I, you know, in in any situation when you really need it, I think the Bengals, you know, this, the 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 side, the left side of that defense is actually really weak. Uh, so I think that's a case where the Texans could take advantage of it. Um, but you know, that I don't I don't think it's just going to be. Uh, blue on his own. I think, you know, it'd be guys like, you know, Akeem Hunt, depending on if they actually want to keep him after he fumbled the ball so much last time, or maybe like a Tyler Irvin or something like that, or Jonathan Grimes always kind of just sneaks into play there. So, you know, it's not necessarily a case of blue being exciting, but, you know, he'll probably be the best shot between the tackles at, at, at handling things, especially, you know, if they happen to get a lead in the second half somehow with uh, Tom Savage there. Mentioned Sammy Watkins before. His teammate Charles Clay also a little dinged up. Knee injuries had him on the injury report for most of the season. He should be okay, but he is officially uh, listed as questionable. Uh, and C.J. Fedorowicz has had a concussion, uh, missed last week's game, practiced fully for the second straight day Thursday, so he is trending in the right direction. Uh, getting the official word on him momentarily, so if I get that, I'll pass it along. Didn't see anything lumped in with the uh, update they provided on Lamar Miller, but at least... Good chance that C.J. Fedorowicz is back this week, so keep that in mind as you get ready to set up your lineups for championship week. All right, Tim, it's time for the airing of grievances. <laughs> Who ruined you this year? What what absolutely screwed you? Was it a league rule maybe or a couple bad decisions or guys leaving a game early or a bad trade? Like what, what, what are the, What's atop your list of grievances for 2016? Well, Allen Robinson. Um Late first round pick in two leagues for me. Uh, I don't say he blew my chances because I was kind of in the playoff hunt for most of them, and I I made the playoffs or in one of them. So I don't want to say it, it ruined it, but it definitely was a, a you know betray of betrayal of trust, I guess. You know, because uh, you know obviously he's got the profile for an elite receiver, but you, 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 the thing with the wide receivers in the first round, you got to consider the quarterbacks. And I guess at one point, I felt the risk with Blake Bortles at quarterback was you know not big enough where it would make me pass on a guy like Robinson great obviously red zone type of guy great big play guy just you know it really you know when that first that anchor of a player the first or second round really betrays you with you know and this wasn't even an injury so I can't even just blame it on that which makes it worse because it was just you know him failing to do his you know do his job most of the part so I think you know Robinson's number one there you know a lot a lot you know I've ranted on this podcast about 
bad league rules before, you know, the head-to-head format still just makes me not want to play fantasy football anymore in a season-long league just because, you know, a lot of unfair things when people miss the playoffs with the point uh, totals, you know, high point totals. As, as you're aware of, that should be more of a factor in things. And, uh, you know, I, I guess not enough IR spots is, is always a big deal because the, the more leagues have the injury reserve spots, but, you know, probably not enough in football because of the nature of the sport. And I guess the playoffs not lasting for full 14 to 16, just a head to head thing coming into play again, just really irritates me. The whole point of fantasy football is to score the most points, not to score points, but then lose to someone else who scores more points. So, you know, a lot of things on my mind and I'm glad I got them off my chest. Yeah. My <laughs> biggest grievance, I'll, I'm just going to air the biggest one is how things happened in the Stopa law firm league this year. If, not for a LaShawn McCoy scoring change where he lost a reception. I think they ruled uh, a, a pass that he had caught a lateral. They took away a reception. I lost by, I, I, I won by the margin of a reception, half point PPR league. So it was, I think it was, I won by a quarter point or three, a third of a point. They change it. I lose by a fraction of a point. Because of that, my seating in the playoffs is different. My path is that I get bounced by the highest scoring team in the opening round. I outscored the other two teams, one of which I would have played if that scoring correction had never happened. I mean, that was just that, that was the one thing that stands out the most. And I'm sure there were four or five other things like that along the way. Some of it might have been my own fault, a questionable lineup decision here or there where I might have played Pierre Garcon over Willie Sneed in the wrong week or vice versa. Some little thing like that probably cost me at some point. But I'm nine points behind Jeff Erickson for the points lead in the league. If Jeff wins the final, he's, he's going up against Yahoo's Brad Evans in the final, and Jeff keeps his points lead over me, he gets the entire prize pool. The Stopa League, there's an $11,000 prize pool in the league, and it's winner take all if they win the playoffs and run total points. If I win total points, I get nothing. But it changes the payout structure for the league where even if Jeff beats Brad, he gets about half of that prize pool, and the rest is distributed over second, third, and fourth place. But because I got bounced in the first round of the playoffs, I'm not in first, second, third, or fourth place. I'm just the points leader. So it's, it's a crap, crap break to have a team as good as the one I had in a league where there's a nice payout like that, and then to have it just go wrong because timing. And I mean, I lost the game to PL. The last week of the season, I got in the I got into the playoffs on total points. That's what the total points leader at the end of the regular season gets. They get the last wild card. I would have missed the playoffs otherwise. I think at six and seven, which is just absurd. The amount of bad luck that I had. Who knows, Tim? Maybe the money would have changed me anyway, and it would have just ruined everything. <laughs> you would have been a sufferable podcast co-host. I would have just been, you know, not looking forward to going on every Friday. So, you know, you obviously you obviously are already an arrogant guy to begin with, as we know. So yeah, it would have uh, made you worse. I'm already so. difficult to work with as it is, <laughs> and. It would have been really hard for me to record podcasts on Fridays because I would have been going to the liquor store every day at lunch just to buy up all the new stuff that was coming in. Like, well, it doesn't matter. I got money for this now. It's just it's found money. This the stope of money. So, you know, whatever. It's 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 fantasy football. It's not just, but I'm pissed about it anyway. I, I, what, I, what I want more leagues to do. My home league does this. This this is this is the correction. I feel like fantasy football leagues should have an all-play element. It doesn't have to be entirely all-play because then it kind of becomes more like a total points league, which isn't quite as fun. You do need to have the head-to-head aspect. But what I would do is I would take the prize pool for your league, no matter what it is. If everyone's paying 10 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 whatever, pool up the money, chop it in half. Do a system where half the money 
goes through the traditional way you're playing your league now. Okay, so your whatever spots get paid out now, they still get paid out. You still run head to head every week, no big deal. But also take the other half and then run all play through that. And whoever wins all play through 16 weeks ends up getting that share of the prize pool. Maybe you can top it out where the top two or three teams, however you want, get paid based on all play. And there's going to be overlap. There's going to be a team that does well in the playoffs, that did well in all play. But the money, I feel like, will be distributed in a much more fair way. And you won't completely throw out that head-to-head aspect that a lot of people do like about fantasy football. Because it is fun to go up against one lineup and have someone to talk crap to if, you, if you're friends with the people in the league. So I, I do like the idea of having more of a hybrid sort of format that more accurately rewards the best players over the course of the season. Yeah, I, I fully agree with you. I've been having some sort of all-play desire to really install more leagues like that for years. And yeah, I think you want a wider net to, like you said, reward the actual smart players and reward the people that actually make better decisions, regardless of who they're facing. And, you know, you score 190 points and the guy gets 195 and you lose. I mean, we're not trying to make this like the NFL. We're trying to make it fantasy football is a different entity. It's not supposed to be a simulation of what's going on in the actual NFL on field stuff. It's supposed to be, you know, working with the stats that we predict and that we're given. And, you know, I think that going in a direction like that to kind of encompass the best performers regardless or you know like you said compromise the old and the new that's where fantasy football should be heading that's where fantasy football needs to really accurately reward people who deserve to be rewarded yeah so that's that's my biggest grievance the other thing i would change even if you don't change to an all-play format what about having this in the playoffs where okay so the teams that get a first round by they're safe in week 14 if you're doing a three-week playoff those two teams are fine but the four teams that are playing it out Instead of having three versus six and four versus five, to me, there's very little that often separates third and sixth from each other anyway. Just have the two teams that score the most points in that week survive. And then mm-hmm. they go to the, the week 15 semifinals with the two teams that had buys. You could give a slight bonus if you want to to the buy teams. I feel like the buy is their bonus. That's the, that's the thing. So you don't have to reward them extra. But then do the same thing where the top two scoring teams out of those four in week 15, they go through to the final and then it's simple head-to-head for week 16. I mean, shouldn't we make the game as fair as it can be because there's enough things that will happen on any NFL Sunday. Players leaving the game early like Melvin Gordon did a few weeks ago. Coaches vulturing players the goal line. There's enough variance and, and madness that happens anyway. Shouldn't we do our best as players and commissioners to make the game more fun and more fair? Oh, absolutely. And I think that, you know, like you said, that, you know, separating, making a whole new clean slate type with the playoff teams, you know, leveling the playing field a bit. It's actually a good idea. Like RT Sports, the the, the program, uh, the, the league service actually does a good job of this in a lot of their uh, draft masters. Uh, uh, you know, well, not draft masters, like, the, you know, the, the, the pay leagues or whatever, the 10 team pay leagues. They they have the playoffs as the top four teams They you know, they reward two the, the top two records and the top two point scorers that aren't the guys that have had those two best records and it's just basically a points race you know they take your average scoring for the week for the year and you race after that i for the three weeks that's actually a pretty pretty nice way to do things i mean obviously that removes a little bit of the traditional element that you're talking about but it's definitely a case where okay now you're in, on the playing field that you established for yourselves to the degree and the, and the uh, slope that you guys have competed against each other all year now you just you know really prove who, who's the best at that point so there's there's combinations of things like you said and like we've experienced so to, to really just kind of you know maximize what we're trying to get out of fantasy football, not just have it be written off as oh it's lucky every year anyway. It's, that doesn't matter. You know, luck wins the championship more than anything like that. Which you know removing and minimizing luck is it should be the goal moving forward. Yeah, just make a game 
that's fair. That's that's all we're looking for. And by the way, uh, congratulations to Vlad Sedler on a great season so far. Good luck as he tries to play for an online championship overall title. The Rotowire Online Championship is part of the NFFC. Vlad, I think, entered this week in fourth place in that contest. Wow. So big possible payday for Vlad this weekend uh, if things break his way. Uh, hopefully it works out. Good dude, good writer, and really, mm-hmm. really good player. So we'll see how he fares over the course of the weekend. Uh, weather doesn't seem to be that bad this week, Tim, mm-hmm. compared to last week especially, which is what you would kind of expect for week 15, week 16 this time of year. Uh, as far as bad conditions go, are there any games that you are altering your plans for because of wind or rain or snow? Because I went through them yesterday and, and nothing seemed bad enough where I was significantly changing my plans. No, there's a lot of California games. There's a lot of dome games. So it's, it's kind of offsetting the normal December concerns like you were saying before. So maybe Seattle might be a little bit cold, uh, you know, with the Seattle-Arizona game, which is already kind of a messy game to begin with there. The Chiefs might have rain in Kansas City against Denver. You know, not games that you're really, really overly excited about. Most guys involved there in, in the passing game to begin with, so not really something that's really going to alter my planning. Maybe the Patriots might have some rain, but that's obviously <laughs> not really a good Jets game to be playing anyway at New England, so it's not really changing much there. Um, no, it, it's actually – I was kind of shocked. I'm like, you know, nothing right now that's really making me worry much for Saturday just because, the, you know, the, the West Coast games are really kind of neutralizing some of the worries that you have right now. Yeah, looking across the league, you might have some rain – in New England on Saturday, but 40-degree temperatures, so very very playable. Uh, rain, possibly, on Sunday night uh, for the Chiefs-Broncos matchup. But game time temperatures might be in the high 50s. I mean, that's wasn't, wasn't it 10 degrees at Arrowhead on Sunday this past week? <laughs> yeah, you don't have to tell me that. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's a, a little bit of a warm spell, it seems like. So Strange, strange oh. weather again. So really nothing you have to adjust for. Uh, this week, if anything changes, of course, we'll have that on the site. So be sure to check out Rotowire this weekend if uh, you think anything's going to take a turn for the worse. But by no account is that going to be the situation. Uh, we've got a lot of players we're going to talk about on DraftKings for this weekend. Tom Brady, 7,700 is the most expensive quarterback. I think the Patriots cover the ridiculous line and put up a lot of points. But I don't see the need to pay up for Brady. I mean, the, the benefit might be a relatively low ownership number since $7,700 is pretty cost prohibitive. But I think the problem I run into is I look at Brady at $7,700 compared to Russell Wilson at $6,300. I know the first game between Seattle and Arizona was a really low-scoring, missed field goal, defense-heavy fest. But Seattle at home should be able to put some points on the board. I actually think both teams will be okay offensively. And I think Wilson is always that player that I'm thinking about in GPPs when the price starts to creep below the mid $6,000 range. Yeah, I think the Cardinals' reputation is kind of feeling that price a little bit. And obviously, like you said, the, the blood, bloody, terrible game that we saw early on is uh, probably getting in the way too. But, you know, the Cardinals have been pretty weak against the pass. Obviously, we saw Drew Brees, you know, go all over the place on them last week. And Wilson has that that same upside. And they sure their division, you know, the divisional opponents, they know each other well. But, you know, I think Wilson with a fully stocked, you know, group of, of receivers, Doug Baldwin, Jimmy Graham, and now Tyler Lockett, if they're if he's really kind of coming into his own now. I don't think Patrick Peterson is enough to really, you know, hold things down among those receivers anymore. So, yeah, I think Wilson at 6,300, the value is there compared to Brady at 7,700, despite the fact that Brady's probably going to have a huge, you know, game to reestablish him after what happened in Denver. 
I'm good with Bur- with Breeze at 7,400 at home, but I like Matt Ryan at 7,200 at Carolina and Luck at 7,000 at Oakland. Both as slightly better plays. I mean, they're they're all in the mix. What do you make of Rivers going up against Cleveland? Rivers hasn't looked very good in recent weeks, but this is a layup for him. It just seems like if there's ever a time for Rivers to go off for 350 yards and three TDs, Cleveland leaves the door wide open for that kind of game. Yeah, it's another one like that, too. I think it's a game where they get Rivers, you know, a little bit of a, you know, happy ending to the season or whatever, I guess, to let him take take the reins there with short passing. They'll probably turn into a lot of big gains with these receivers. And, you know, Kenneth Farrow in the passing game, I think, will be a big case there, too. And, you know, and Antonio Gates, you know, looks like he's going to be a pretty valuable play as well against that that secondary. So it's, you know, good, good, good thing to really, you know, Gates is only what? Two touchdowns away from Tony Gonzalez's record, if I'm not mistaken? For tight ends, yeah. So this might be so, time to force feed the ball to Gates. Mm-hmm. Makes me a little nervous by having Hunter Henry going in my stake league final, but I think he's shown he's kind of got a nose for finding some space he around does. the red zone. And Rivers certainly seems to trust him in close. Uh, as you look at the other quarterbacks, anybody else kind of stand out as particularly good value? I mean, Jameis on the other side of that uh, Bucks Saints rematch, sixty five hundred. I think he's a JPP, mm-hmm. not a not a cash game consideration, and maybe even Marcus yeah. Mariota at 6,000. The Jags have been pretty stingy as far as fantasy points allowed to opposing quarterbacks. I think Tennessee, and Mike Malarkey in particular, might have a little revenge in mind here. Tennessee needs this game. like They have plenty mm-hmm. to play for. Jacksonville, sure, maybe they get the Dan Campbell effect with uh, Doug Marone taking over for Gus Bradley, but the Jags are bad, and I've seen Tennessee, when they want to get aggressive like they did against the Packers, earlier this year they can they can take it to pretty much any defense when they're playing well yeah I think Mariota's you know got a lot of um you know the offensive line of Tennessee is I think really going to dominate Jacksonville in this one I agree with you so I think Mariota will take advantage of that one uh, you know he had a nice nice decent little game there against Jacksonville last time completed 81 percent of his passes uh 82 percent excuse me I think he'll be in line to do a little bit more here uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good GPP chance to take it at 6000 The price difference, you know, is definitely uh, intriguing. I, I just think that Wilson is 6300 only $300 more, ex- more expensive. I think the Wilson uh, odds are a little bit better there. So I, I, while I like Mariota, there's kind of a group of players that I think have more upside that are grouped similar to him. So I think I'm less intrigued with Mariota in this case. Yeah, Mariota is in my lineup if I make four or five of them, and I probably won't go that far down, but I, I'm just not writing him off completely. Right. I know the last couple of weeks especially, he hasn't produced at the same levels he was throughout the middle part of the season. Uh, player fade Blake Bortles at $5,000 in GPP. Tennessee's <laughs> defense, I mean, they're, they're not great against the pass. Bortles carved him up earlier this season. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I think the Titans, you know, have been a little bit vulnerable in the secondary. Um, they, but they've, they've given up. I believe they've had some better matchups than Jacksonville that have really torched them. Uh, you know, now that Mar- Marquise Lee is Jacksonville's best wide receiver, in my opinion, that could maybe change things a little bit there. Um, so I don't know. It's The defensive line of Tennessee is pretty tough, though, and that Jacksonville line has no chance of giving Bortles protection this time. So I'm not all that excited about it. Maybe, you know, that's the $20 throwaway lineup that we keep talking about every week. Just, you know, play play the most garbage players you can think of and see what happens type of deal. So I can get a decent amount of nice beer for $20 around here. So I feel <laughs> like that's just the better use of $20. But you can pair Bortles with Allen Robinson this week for a combined 9600 because Bortles is 5000 and Allen Robinson's only 4600 So, yeah, if you are... 
you're rolling out a bunch of GPP lineups and you just want a combination that might be a tick lower owned because of Bortles' recent form and, and what Robinson's done to owners throughout this year. I don't think they're going to be like completely like minute like tiny ownership rates, but I think they're going to be uh, you know reasonable for what they might do given the weakness of that Titans defense. Any other quarterbacks on, on your radar for this week? Do we want to throw uh, Colin Kaepernick out there? Uh, I'm not really looking to be that strong with that one, but you know, Rams without Robert Quinn, not a great defensive line as, as they usually are, even with Aaron Donald there. Uh, maybe it's not, it's not that bit of a trip for him. So, you know, the Rams defense is pretty much, you know, a good passing offense could take advantage of it. Is if, is this the one that shows up with Kaepernick there? The weapons, obviously, with Torrey Smith going on IR already were weak with him in there. So that that's a, another against the grain play that, you know, it could be worth trying, but um. I'm probably not have the cojones to play that one. I would rather have Andy Dalton going, but with that, I would need to know a- that AJ Green's going to play. Like that would right. that'd be more interesting to me because Dalton's 5300. Even I think I'd rather play Tyrod at 5400 than Cap this week at mm-hmm. 5700. The supporting cast in San Francisco, it's Carlos Hyde and nothing else right now. I mean, it's really, really bad. Uh, moving on to the running back position, David Johnson leads the way 9,200 because Le'Veon Bell is not part of the main slate. You have to choose an alternative slate to get the Ravens-Steelers game and the Broncos-Chiefs game into the mix. So if you're playing the larger slate, David Johnson is your most expensive back. I don't love him this week, but at the same time, I mean, the price is what almost $1,000 lower than last week. He was through the roof a week ago. Yeah, he was ten thousand one hundred, so we're nine hundred dollars cheaper. And as good as Seattle is, does anyone really stop David Johnson? They just kind of contain him slightly. I mean, he's you know a bad game for him is you know through the air is four catches, <laughs> so he's going to touch the ball twenty times regardless. You know, against against them earlier this year, he touched the ball what forty one times, had like one hundred seventy something uh, total yards, thirteen targets. That's that's kind of the way that Arizona would attack Seattle is through a lot of those you know get. Johnson out on a wheel router in the seam or something like that. That's that's how they would really go about doing that. So just to avoid that secondary, I think Johnson's going to have plenty of dump offs again. So it's a full PPR. I get the pricing. It's not one that would break your bank entirely. I think the floor is high enough regardless of who he faces. I'm I'm not opposed to starting Johnson even in a GPP at this rate. If you had the extra two hundred available, would you play Johnson over Lashawn McCoy, or would you just choose McCoy straight up at nine thousand? Uh, I mean, McCoy really is, you know, losing a lot to Mike Gillisley. I mean, McCoy did get the, you know, the touchdowns last week, which, and I, I'll go back to another bad beat story for me. I had LaShawn McCoy and Devontae Freeman in a league, and I still lost last week. Ooh. So that's that's another Festivus thing that I wanted to have, you know, less pride in that one, but I, I really, it really pissed me off to have that happen. But um, there's there's a little bit of more risk with McCoy losing touches, and there's no real risk of David Johnson losing touches if the game matters. So I think McCoy... Get, get, I think I get the answer Johnson, actually, even for the high-end price. I don't usually say that, but I think it's the difference is not as much, and Johnson has the better workload. I like Devontae Freeman and DeMarco Murray, though, at 7,100 and 7,000. I mean, you save 2,000 off the prices of, of David Johnson and LaShawn McCoy. I think you're getting a similar upside once you adjust for matchups in those games. Murray's going to get his mm-hmm. most weeks. I mean, Derrick Henry plunged into the end zone twice. I don't think there's anything predictive about that. I wouldn't worry too much about uh, that scenario unfolding on a regular basis. It's been, a, it's been a possible thing all season long. Just happened to be worse last week than usual. Are you playing or fading Todd Gurley at 6,500? Because as I've said repeatedly, <sighs> the Rams in week one are the only 
team all season long that failed to have a running back reach 10 fantasy points in non-PPR against San Francisco's defense. I realize Navarro Bowman was playing at that time, but he's playing for a couple weeks after that. Fozzie Whitaker carved up the Niners the week after Todd Gurley didn't the first time when they met in the week one. Well, I mean, we talked about there's like been hints of San Francisco improving its run defense, and obviously the the Rams' offensive line is garbage. Um, in season long, in season long leagues, I think I would play Gurley at this point because if you hang on to him and you somehow survive through all of it, I think there's nowhere to go but up for the San Francisco matchup. For DFS, I don't. It's for one, I think he's going to be popularly owned in GPP anyway, so I think the the effect he'll have is not good. And the matchup is priced where they're already taking into account a high floor that I don't think he's a real safe guarantee to reach. So in GPP, I, I actually in DFS overall, I don't think I want Gurley this week. I, it's just the, the expectations are already set too high, even with the 6,500 compared to David Johnson. If Gurley were somehow cheaper than that, I would consider it. But like I said, I think the expectations are – it's priced that he's already going to do what we haven't seen him do for much of the year. Watch Benny Cunningham outscore Todd Gurley <laughs> and just make everyone tilt really hard yep. on uh, mm-hmm. Christmas weekend because I think that's a possibility. I I would rather just play Jordan Howard at 6,300 against Washington. I mean, the Redskins have allowed the fourth most points to opposing backs. And I realize the difference. I've not run the standard deviations, but the Niners are like two standard deviations away from the next closest team, and the Browns are bad against opposing backs. So fourth compared to first is a pretty, pretty big difference. But Jordan Howard looks really good right now. I don't really see Washington blowing out the Bears in no. Chicago, I mean, I think they're going to win the game. They're going to be fine. But Jordan Howard can do everything. He looks really good. and He's the kind of player that, as we kind of alluded to on the XM show starting on Wednesday, if you're looking at Gurley versus Howard in season-long leagues for 2017, and you have to decide today, it's a tough decision because, one, you don't know what changes each of those teams are going to make. And two, Howard has looked a lot better than Gurley this season to the point where you probably trust Jordan Howard more since both of these teams have poor quarterback situations and, and questionable personnel overall on the offensive side of the ball. The Bears have a better offensive line, too. That's definitely where a lot of the difference lies with me. And their, their personnel is actually not bad. I mean, they've had some receiver death come up that you would never expect. And I think there's actually a lot more talent to this Bears team than a lot of people give them credit for. Uh, and you get, maybe get Zach Miller back next year, obviously, too. Uh, yeah, Howard's just a great two-way player to begin with. And great, you know, better reading, you know, holes that he has. I think, you know, I've said this before. I think I was not high on Gurley coming into this year as many other people were because I just don't think that there's a lot of really good vision to him. I think the athleticism is obviously great, but I I think it's like a Barry Sanders situation. Talented player with too much bad on his surrounding team to overcome and be a you know, superb player that he should be. So, yeah, I'm with you. I think Howard's the guy you got to roll with right now. And Gurley making less out of nothing than, than Barry Sanders ever made i mean like, there was that was the thing about Sam, barry is that he could play in a bad offense with a bad line but he could make so many guys miss that he could offset some of those weaknesses of the supporting cast around him we yeah. just haven't seen that from Gurley to this point uh, latavius murray is also in the same price tier 6200 he's sort of intriguing too with the home matchup against the colts Bilal powell is on the radar especially with DraftKings being a full point ppr side at 6000 but you look a little further down behind powell tim Ty Montgomery coming off a big game against the Bears. He's 5,900. And then Carlos Hyde. I don't see the Rams blowing out the Niners or the Niners blowing out the Rams. It seems like a good setup for both backs volume-wise in that game. And if you told, if you said, who do you like better from a skills standpoint this season, Hyde or Gurley, it's Hyde for me, hands down, and he's $700 mm-hmm. cheaper than Gurley this week. 
Yeah, Hyde's the be- I think Hyde's the better overall running back in terms of like 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 I said with Howard, you know, reading the line, reading the holes. I think that sort of thing. He's you know good inside outside type of back as well. And yeah, um, you know, said before, you know, the, the Rams uh, defensive line is nothing to really write home about. So you know, Kaepernick being the guy that I you know that I was weighing before, I think Hyde's obviously going to get his every week. So it's a good matchup for him. And obviously Montgomery, like you said. The, the price there has not really factored in that big game from last week, so it's kind of nice. I think the Vikings' defensive reputation is kind of you know balancing out the expectations, which is good because I think I would take a chance on Montgomery again at that price. I like Jay Ajayi getting his second crack at Buffalo. 5,600 is the price. Not expecting 200 yards and a score again, but I think he can find the end zone, maybe even clip the century mark, though, for the first time in four or five weeks. It's been a little while since Jay Ajayi got to that level. Uh, what else do you like at running back this week? Anybody else that really kind of stands out because of their price? I think Rob Kelly at 5,200 is the one that I really like. I think that Bears uh, run defense, the statistics are kind of skewed. They haven't faced that many good opponents. This, you know, So they've kind of, like, the numbers maybe look shinier than they actually are. I think Kelly, obviously another last week's trash type of situation because you know his rushing performance wasn't good, but had a lot in receiving game to make up for it. And I think, it, obviously, PPR Kelly... I think it's a like you said, it's gonna be a close game. I think it's a really heavy Rob Kelly situation there. And even Thomas Rawls at fifty one hundred against Arizona, not terrible. I think that the, there's gonna be some hidden volume there as well. So uh, you know, those are another guys that those are good flex opportunities, I think, to, to kind of take advantage of right there. And obviously I think Jonathan Stewart at fifty two hundred is another good one to take advantage of for volume. Yeah, there there are a handful of, of quality plays that are on the cheaper side this week at the running back position, even with a slightly smaller main slate than usual. Let's shift the focus over to the wide receiver position. Mike Evans is the most expensive option, 8,500. Julio's 8,100. Not being on the injury report makes me kind of intrigued, Tim. I, I think the idea of throwing Julio in there is pretty appealing. Carolina's been leaking a lot of points to opposing receivers this season. Yeah, I think you'd have to group him with, you know, an Allen Robinson type, you know, as you talked about before, to really kind of maximize that. That's a high floor. To, to establish for what you want from him, but it's definitely, it could be a good, you know, like you said, a misdirection play uh, against the grain in, in, a, in a GPP, have a Julio Jones out there, be fresh, and obviously those cornerbacks in Carolina, you know, have a lot of flaws to them, so I, I could see, you know, I see the allure behind that. I think you'd, ha- you'd have to craft the right lineup to make it work, I think, though. If you're going to play a Saints receiver, Brandon Cooks is 6,800, Michael Thomas at 6,000, or Willie Sneed at 5,500, who are you going to have the most shares of? I mean, it really kind of depends. I never thought I'd say this, but who matches up with Brent Grimes, who's actually been pretty good for Tampa Bay this year. The rest of that secondary is very beatable. I think Steed actually has the best um, ability to kind of, you know, sneak between some holes there. There might be less accounting for him because, you know, the Thomas, you know, downfield might be a threat there. Steed can kind of go in between both of those. And I think they'll be a lot uh, very attentive on Cooks. I think it's one of those where you kind of, you know, fade Cooks after that big week last week. Uh, yeah, I think I, I would go with Sneed. Very interesting that I, I would. I, I'm kind of doing that on the fly a little bit, deciding on him. But it's definitely, I think, there's a the happy medium that he plays between the two of those games of Cooks and Thomas, where I think that the, the price is the best value. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if, if Grimes is on Cooks and Vernon Hargraves is on Michael Thomas, that could be a good matchup for Thomas too. Maybe it's a, a Breeze, Thomas, and uh, yeah, Sneed stack, Sneed yeah. stack, and then you kind of just pivot away from Cooks coming off that monster game last week. Uh, other top end sort of receivers. I mean, Ty at seventy eight hundred. What's your interest level in the other top ten receivers? 
Well, I, I worry about the Raiders' uh, pass rush against Andrew Luck a little bit. I mean, that really didn't make sense with Minnesota, but I think that, you know, might be a little bit more to travel on the West Coast. That could really hurt Luck there. Um, Julian Edelman's at 6,900 going a little bit further down. I like that a lot, obviously, with the, the Jets' secondary being basically trash at this point in the in the season. I mean, do you go with the, with the Jordy Nelson type against Minnesota as another against the grain type of deal with those tough cornerback matchups? But Jordy, obviously, looks like he's gotten a little bit of that deep threat back, um, you know, a little bit maybe weaker matchup with those cornerbacks who let him kind of slip away in that fluke play last week. But that looked like vintage Jordy to me. I don't know. I'm going to ask the Packer fan about his uh, about your you know opinion on that one. Yeah, that's my level of interest is just kind of as the contrarian. Hey, if he slips behind somebody, Rodgers can certainly exploit it. I just don't. I don't expect a big game from Jordy I, Nelson. If yeah. it happens, it happens. I'm leaning against it. I think he's fine in season long, but I think in DFS, I like going with other combinations a bit better. Uh, are you on Robbie Anderson this week at 4,800 or, or Travis Benjamin going back to Cleveland at 4,800? Because you got those two guys plus Tyler Lockett and then you got Cameron Meredith at 4,700 all kind of lumped together in the sub $5,000 range. I think Benjamin's interesting there because uh, I, I just think that the, the you know Rivers' ability to kind of control the you know the Cleveland pass rush is going to give him so, it, the lack of it's going to give him so much time to throw. Benjamin downfield is going to be, I think, a huge target for him. Uh, I, I don't want the and to trust any Jets receivers against the Patriots because I think that Bryce Petty's life is going to be miserable. Um, you know, they, they just, you know, they know how to toy with quarterbacks like that. I'm not really a big fan of that. Even the guy Anderson, who he's actually most comfortable with. Meredith intrigues me a little bit because of Jeffrey being there. Meredith obviously might not have to see Josh Norman, which is a good thing. So that that's definitely a case that I would be saying, okay, Meredith could be a, a second or third wide receiver, depending on how deep you want to go with the top end there. With Tom Savage taking over at quarterback this week, <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins' interest is up. But what about Will Fuller as a tournament play going up against the Bengals? I know the Bengals aren't bad against opposing wide receivers, but 3,900, and that opens up a lot of flexibility if you're in a big field GPP and want to spend up at other positions. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we've kind of lost credit of you know, how, how uh, decent Adam Jones has been against top receivers this year. If he's matching up with Hopkins, which he might be, that, that's a case where I might fade Hopkins a little bit there and have Fuller going up against the weaker parts of that secondary. So I could definitely see that happening. Uh, you know, Jones is a following type of receiver. He actually did, didn't do so bad against Antonio Brown uh, in their two games this year. So, uh, yeah, I think Hopkins would be his target there. So Fuller, as that secondary play, might have good, some good one-on-one matchups and, and burn them deep. So, yeah, I think Savage gives me a lot more optimism in general, as you said, with this Texans uh, passing offense. What else uh, kind of stands out to you as you look at those cheaper options at receiver? You got anybody else that you're going to roll into some lineups? Uh, Tyler Lockett, 4,800 with the Seahawks would be interesting, I think, against uh, you know that Arizona deep, the secondary that we've, we've seen give up a lot of uh, points to slot receivers and stuff like that, and you know third receivers. Uh, Chris Hogan at 4,200 interests me also for the Patriots there. You know, as, we, as you de- dig into the depths of, of those, uh, those secondaries, that's a good one. Uh, Marquise Lee at 4,300 for the Jags. We, we talk about the Allen Robinson fade there, but Lee just seems to be a better receiver, making things happen on his own a bit more. That's a guy that I think is going to be maybe a decent sleeper target for next year uh, as long as the price isn't too high so yeah um, you know the, the lower groups of wide receivers you can make those types of plays where you can have big on running backs and pile on two of these you know less than 5,000 type of wideouts this week. You know Mike Clay of ESPN was pointing out on Twitter Tavon Austin has a great matchup because San Francisco is terrible against slot receivers mm-hmm. I just don't know if I trust the Rams to have the foresight and the ability to <sighs> exploit something like that. No I, I it's a nice thought 
and if if it happens, it happens. Tip my cap to the other guy that did it, but uh, that's something I'm not comfortable going into a, a, a game with unless it's a throwaway GPP lineup. Yeah, I've I've put him into a GPP lineup before this season. I think it was the game against the Saints, and it it was fine. It, it paid off, and I'm I'm warm on it, but I'm not locked on Tavon Austin everywhere because hey, they're the Rams, and it's Jared Goff. Uh, let's go to the tight end position. Things are a little thin at the top. I mean, Reed seems like far from a sure thing. No Eifert. Greg Olson was on the injury report earlier in the week. He's not now, so he should be fine. He's 5,200 going up against Atlanta. Uh, Kyle Rudolph gets the Packers. That could be a good spot at 4,900. But I'm looking at Jimmy Graham. Hit a season-high 10 targets the first time Seattle played Arizona. He's only 4,500, very affordable. The other top tight ends have some flaws this week. He's probably going to be heavily owned, but I really don't mind. I think Jimmy Graham has a good spot against Arizona. Yeah, comparity, I really like Graham there. I think Rudolph is interesting because the Packers do have trouble t- target, you know, stopping some good tight ends, but I think the price kind of already removes, removes some of the profit potential out of that. So, uh, yeah, I think Graham relatively to Rudolph this week is where I would probably go. But then you have the Antonio Gates thing at 4,400 like we talked about before. That's, you know, that's a GPP play waiting to happen. Um, I think the cash game, it's a little bit risky because, like you said, Hunter Henry being there and threatening a lot of the uh, targets there. But, you know, if they really – if Philip Rivers wants his buddy Antonio Gates to really get that record, I think they might start to do it against Cleveland. Yeah, maybe see him score each of these last two games. That wouldn't be that surprising at all given the circumstances. Uh, looking down, Kobe Fleener, kind of interesting at 3,100. But I think if I'm going to go to that level, both Jared Cook and Vernon Davis are at 3,000. And I think both are in play as a result. Yeah, I mean, I'd be a lot more interested in Cook if Harrison Smith doesn't play for the Vikings. I think he practiced in full today. That that safety spot's been weak since he's been out, but if he returns, I think I'm a little less intrigued at that point. Vernon Davis, obviously the one you you want to watch for there at, at 3,000 is another solid one there with the Jordan Reed status going. So, yeah, um, you know, tight end you can go a little bit cheaper unless you go with Graham. And like you said, Graham I think is the guy that you go with. Greg Olson being the, the five, at 5,200, obviously the matchup's great, but that's also a high floor for him to go with. So, you know. Going with the profit of tight ends is usually my way to go. Let's talk defenses for a few moments. The Patriots get Bryce Petty. They're at home. I know they're 3,600, but they're my first choice. If I can't afford them, I think San Diego at 3,400 is at least in consideration. But the Packers, I think, are pretty interesting at 3,300. Again, they've been ball hawking these last few weeks. Clay Matthews being healthy really changes the look of that pass rush. I think you got a couple different options, even if you don't want to go after the Patriots, who I would estimate to be the most heavily owned defense this week, given what the Dolphins were doing to Bryce Petty last Saturday. Oh, absolutely. I fully agree. I think those are actually my top three choices that you mentioned there for defense. So uh, not much to add there. I will maybe add the Bills to, uh, you know, be hosting Matt Moore. You never know. That could be a really disastrous game for that for that uh, offense there, even with Ajayi in a good spot there. I think this is, the pass rush is good enough from Buffalo to really torment him. And, you know, uh, the, the secondary hasn't been too bad. So, yeah, Buffalo would be like kind of my – as you dig down a bit further type of defense uh, at 3,100. Not not something that I'm rushing to do, but definitely a consideration if it, if your lineup fits that way where you have to go a little cheaper there. All right, so before we start to sign off, Tim, what's uh, what's in the fridge for, for Christmas? <laughs> Big holiday weekend. What, what's the move? Uh, I actually had a couple of good ones uh, the other night um, with a little bit of, uh, you know, spending a little Christmas time with, with the lady friend. Uh, Lagunitas High Westified Imperial Coffee Stout 
and Young's Double Chocolate Stout. Uh, you know, uh, we actually paired them with some good Reese's uh, Peanut Butter Cup trees. You know, the candy beer pairing, very underrated facet of what <laughs> drinking craft beer is all about. It's actually a really good combination if you can do something similar to that. Uh, definitely a good dessert treat there. A tradition I get every every Christmas time, I usually get Unibrew's Maudit. Uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's a very, very strong, you know, um, ale made from Unibrew uh, up in Chambly, uh, I guess a, a suburb, you know, like a tiny town near Montreal, Canada. Very good brewery. They make some good stuff. That's a strong ale. I think it's about 8 or 9%. And uh, Sam Adams 12-pack is obviously going to be on hand for family coming over. The old Fezziwig is always a good uh, cheap favorite there, the gingerbread tasting beer. So uh, definitely looking forward to there. Uh, what, what about you? I've got a ridiculous supply that continues to build up. I, made it, I may have mentioned the, the Twitter list I set up of the local uh, liquor stores and grocery stores that have all the good craft beer in the area. Plus, I've got some breweries I follow. And all it's doing is making me buy beer faster than I could ever consume it. Fortunately, I don't drink it as fast as I'm buying it. And I, I have to cut myself off. Like I finally, I'm finally at a point now where I'm looking in the pantry and I actually don't have more space on the floor for more beer, so I have to stop. But I've got a new beer I picked up at lunch today. It is uh, made by a company that's going under the label Untitled Art. They're based out of Madison. Uh, they have a juicy IPA they just put out. It just hit the shelves today. It's totally unknown to me. There's been a lot of hype for it, so I'm really looking forward to trying that uh, for the first time. While I was picking that up, two things that I stumbled into completely accidentally, uh, Central Waters here in Wisconsin has a, a two-year-old barley wine they just put out. It's the last time they're making it. It's the Y2K barley wine uh, series that people have been pretty high on for a couple of years. So I've got a bottle of that that I'm going to bring to Christmas. We'll see how that goes. And then I, I landed a bottle of the uh, Big Bad Baptista from Epic Brewing Company in Salt Lake City. So that's an imperial Ooh. stout with Mexican coffee, uh, the cocoa nibs, the vanilla, the cinnamon, and it's aged in barrels too on top of that. And I got the very last bottle because the guy working – he, he pointed it out to me. I, I didn't even go in there looking for it. I didn't even think they'd have it. And he says, hey, just so you know, that's the last bottle. People have been saying it's really good. I just want to let you know I accidentally left it in the office because I was taking pictures of it for the Twitter account. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I grab it. 30 seconds later, some guy comes in and asks him for that specific beer. And he's like, oh, yeah, that guy over there just took it. And I was like, oh, <laughs> sorry, dude. I, I, didn't have, I didn't have the I, – I should, I should have been nice. I should have been in the Christmas spirit. I should have said, hey, you know what? I happened upon this. This is – this is not something I was seeking out. You deserve it. I should have done that, and I didn't. I missed an opportunity to do the right um, thing. Well, all, all's fair in craft beer war, man. I'm sorry. I, I would have been selfish there. There are times <laughs> I've gone in for something that I really wanted, and it was long gone. And I went after work, and it came out during lunch. I mean, like that's you're, you're right. There is an element to this where it's like you just have to deal with the fact that someone else might beat you to it with these limited release things. The last one that I, I got for the first time is a beer called – Coco Poco. It's an imperial coconut porter aged in rum barrels from uh, Tyranina Brewery in Lake Mills, Wisconsin, probably 30, 35 minutes away from the office. I've never had that before, so that's also on my uh, to-do list here for the weekend. Yeah, um, you know, might even I might even pick up a little bit of uh, you know scotch this weekend, depending because I usually just do like a little sipping stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking up some of these beers. I, I always write down the beers we talk about. If I ever happen to run into them, I have like a, the running document of what we're doing. So, uh, you know, always fun. We, you know, we came up, we come up with a lot of uh, good stuff here. You know, 
get, we got to we got to mix them up at some point though when we actually see each other in person. Yeah, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna work on that. We'll work on that off air. Yeah. We'll have we'll have a plan set up where you know we'll ga- I'll gather things from the Midwest. You either come here and just pick them up, or I'll ship them to you, or whatever. We'll just have to do a swap every couple months because there's mm-hmm. just so much stuff out there right now, and I, I'm just narrowing the focus to. 200 miles around where I'm at and that's plenty and and you've got even more options out where you are so we'll definitely get that going I hope everyone has a very safe and happy holiday weekend Tim I hope you enjoy a time with the friends and family this weekend happy festivus Merry Christmas and uh, we'll talk to you again next Friday you too man always always fun and uh, you know enjoy yourself and uh, hope those uh, Packers can uh, do a little bit more on the field this week I hope they can keep that momentum going thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast we are back one week from today good luck in your championship matchups we'll be back with another Friday installment for week 17 With the folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.